Amen. Amen. This has been a uh, quite a week, hasn't it? And uh, it's been a hard one for our church family as we uh, heard the news that on Wednesday, uh, uh, Randy Wayner had had a heart attack. And uh, by God's grace and the ordering of, of these events, uh, it couldn't have happened with better uh, uh, surrounding circumstances for such a, uh, a deadly uh, thing to occur. And we praise God that he has spared his life, and, and Randy is uh, conscious again and able to respond. And he's at Overland Park uh, Regional Medical Center, and you can visit uh, the family there and visit him there briefly. But uh, we, we just thank God that uh, uh, Randy's life and integrity and influence uh, speaks volumes, and he was a man prepared uh, to meet his maker at any moment, at any time, and lived a fruitful, full life, and here God has spared him, and uh, we are rejoicing in that. And I know one passage that uh, uh, I claim for their family uh, this week was uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a great, great verse to pray over their family at this time and our church family, because we're a church family, amen? And this is our brother, and we grieve and uh, feel the ups and downs with them. And then our, our nation, as it grieves and looks for answers. Everybody's asking questions. How could something so tragic happen in Newtown, Connecticut? And again, uh, I would take you to Isaiah and we look forward to the day when the Prince of Peace, this, this Son, Jesus Christ, whom we are worshiping today, and who is the meaning and the message and the Messiah of Christmas, will bring a time when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. We long for the day when the Prince of Peace will rule, and in that time we get to proclaim. Amen? We get to be a people that proclaim the Prince of Peace. Let's go to him and ask for his blessings on our church and our nation. Father, we come and we rejoice that we know you. You've revealed yourself to us through this babe in the manger who grew to be a man who was sinless and yet took the sacrifice and the punishment of sin for us. And Lord, he's coming, joy to the world, for when the king comes, he will make the nations prove your righteousness, and you will bring peace, and there will be justice for those that are unjust, and there will be punishment for those who do evil. And Lord, there will be forgiveness, and there will be righteousness, and there will be life for those who run, run to you to find their answers in life. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by you. And so we pray and intercede on behalf of 
Randy, that you would continue to heal him. We rejoice in your grace and your mercy and pray that you would strengthen their family, comfort them, and that we would gather around them and with them and intercede for them. We pray for the professional care individuals, police, pastors, doctors, counselors, that they would bring the message and they would know that you are the wonderful counselor, you are the mighty God, you are the everlasting Father that can heal the wounds of heart-crushing sorrow today. And so, Father, we want to exalt your Son and ask that all that's said and done here would bring glory to the name and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles and stand with me this morning for our scripture reading. You turn in your Bibles to the book of John as Pastor Bruce continues in his series, Behold His Glory. The message focus this week is Behold the Glory of the Lord. We'll be reading John chapter 1 verse 1 and then continuing in verses 14 through 18. John 1 verse 1 and then 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Father, we come to You this morning. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You uh, for sending Him to the earth. We pray that we would be able today to just behold the glory uh, of Your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen. to man he would tell 
What a great song, great job, and uh, just thank you ladies, instrumentalists, for preparing our hearts and pointing us to the Christ of Christmas. I'm so glad you're here this morning as we celebrate Christmas. I love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, do as well. But not everyone is celebrating in our country today, are they? In light of the horrific shootings that many of you, most of you heard about there in Newtown, Connecticut, many families are weeping this Christmas. And as I thought about these mothers losing their children, I couldn't help but think of another time when many mothers were weeping over the loss of their children. In an effort to kill baby Jesus, a madman, named King Herod, brutally slaughtered thousands of baby boys, leaving thousands of mothers to weep over the loss of their children. Listen to how Matthew records this tragedy in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and in all its districts, from two years old and younger, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. What we see in this story is Mary rejoicing and Rachel weeping. Christmas joy and Christmas tears all wrapped up together in one Christmas. And that's somewhat what we have in our own country right now, isn't it? We have Christmas joy, we have Christmas tears, and many are rejoicing while many are weeping. So where do you turn? In the face of such tragedy, where do you turn for comfort and hope? I suggest to us all here this morning that you turn to the Christ of Christmas. You turn to Jesus, the Lord. And that's what I want us to do this morning. And as we turn to Jesus, the Lord, we're going to gaze upon a part of the Christmas story that perhaps is a little different for you. It's not the traditional Christmas story that you may be familiar with. And perhaps, maybe you've never even heard of this part of the Christmas story. But as we gaze upon this part of the Christmas story, I hope you will stand in awe. I hope you will open your heart to the wonder and the glory of Christ the Lord. This unfamiliar part of the Christmas story is found in the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 14, is part of the text that Zach read for us in our scripture reading. But let me draw your attention to verse 14 once more. Look what it says. And the Word, who's the Word? The Word is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, at first glance, this may not seem like a great Christmas story. 
But this verse, verse 14, explains what happened when Christ was born. It's kind of, if you will, the story behind the story. You know what I mean? There's always a story behind the story. And this is God's version, John's version, if you will, of the story behind the story. It's the story behind the story of the angels and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the wise men. This verse here explains what happened, if you will, backstage at Bethlehem. It also helps us to understand what Christ's birth means for us today. So what we're going to see this morning for a few moments is that the baby in the manger is not just any ordinary human being. Look at this in your notes. Behold his glory. Why? Because the baby in the manger is who? Is Jesus the Lord. As Luke 2.11 tells us. In fact, listen to what it says. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And how should we respond to this baby in the manger who is identified for us as Christ the Lord? John tells us we should behold his glory. This word behold, it's it's an interesting word. It's a word that we don't use too often in our everyday common language. But it means to gaze intently upon or to carefully scrutinize. It's the idea of scanning or examining something in order to better understand it. And so for a few minutes, I want to invite you to behold or to gaze upon Jesus the Lord and behold his glory. And in the process of doing this... I want to ask you to consider what his birth means for you today. What difference does the birth of Jesus Christ make in your life? What difference does his birth make in my life here today, 2012? Well, let me draw your attention to three simple points in understanding this just a little bit more. As we behold the glory of the Lord. Number one, behold the Lord's incarnation. Behold the Lord's incarnation. The whole truth about Christmas is contained in this first phrase of John chapter 1, verse 14, when he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, to feel the full force of this verse, you have to go back up to verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, about that word, the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So if the word was God, and if the word became flesh, then Jesus is who? It's God's word made flesh. Jesus, in other words, is God in human flesh. Theologians call this the incarnation. And uh, it's just a term that simply means to take on human flesh. In other words, you could say God the Son wrapped himself in human flesh when he was born. In the morning, some of you may wrap yourself in a robe. My wife puts on a robe in the morning. I'm sure some of you put on a robe in the morning. You wrap yourself in a robe. Well, in the same way, the Son of God descended from heaven to earth and wrapped himself in the frail body of a tiny baby in the stable in a little town of Bethlehem. Someone put it this way. God did not send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. 
So Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. What a mind-blowing miracle this is. Who can fathom such a thing? So what does this mean then? Well, notice this coming up on the screen. It simply means God, the Son, became human without ceasing to be God and then lived among us. Now, there's no doubt that is a hard concept to comprehend and understand. No one can say how this happened or even how God became a man without ceasing to be God. But this is what the Bible teaches us. God the Son did not cease to be God when he became a man. He added manhood, but he did not subtract his deity. He was fully God and fully man. Now, you just got to kind of stop and behold that right there. You just have to step back and stand in awe of this mind-blowing miracle and behold the glory of it. And yes, there is a mystery to it, but just behold it. Let it pierce your heart. This simple yet significant truth that we celebrate at Christmas. The almightiness of God moved in a human arm. The love of God now beat in the human heart. The wisdom of God now spoke from human lips. The mercy of God reached forth from human hands. And the glory of God walked among us. Yes, God is a God of love. But when Christ came to earth, love was wrapped in human flesh. Jesus was God with skin on it, we could say. But becoming human was only part of what happened in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When the Lord came from heaven, listen, he walked on the face of the earth and he lived among us. Think about that at this time right now in our country. Think about that right, time, this, right now, what that means for us as a church family. The pain that we feel, the hurt that we feel for Randy as a church family and his own family. The weeping of our nation. Listen, God understands that. Jesus went through and experienced the same hurts and emotions that we as humans did. He lived among us as a human being. Yes, still fully God. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates the first part of this verse when he said, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And for 33 years, God lived in our neighborhood. He did not come to be with us just for a brief visit and then vanish or just for a few days or a few months. Instead, God lived with us from infancy to adulthood. President Nixon once declared in a speech that the greatest moment in human history was when man walked on the moon. And shortly afterwards, Billy Graham corrected him and said, no, the greatest moment in history was not when man walked on the moon, but when God walked on the earth. How true that is. The NIV Bible says it this way, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some translations say that Jesus kind of, he pitched his tent among us. And that's an accurate way to describe it. Because this word dwelling or dwelt has a significant meaning because it's connected in the Old Testament to the tabernacle. Which was a tent where the very glory of God dwelt in the days before the temple was built in Jerusalem. And so the tabernacle, which was a tent, was sometimes actually called the tent of meeting. Meeting with who? 
Meeting of what? Well, because it was God's meeting place with his people. Well, today, in a much deeper sense, Jesus is now the place where we meet God. Which brings us to our second point here. Behold the incarnation of the Lord. Stand in awe that God has come down. Because in his love for us, he became one of us and lived among us. But behold, number two, the Lord's manifestation. Verse 14 says, look at it with me again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Notice it says we have beheld. Or we have seen his glory. And who does his refer to? Well, it refers to the word. And again, who is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. The word is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now we behold his glory. As John, the apostle, is writing this, he's writing this after Jesus has already walked on the earth. He's writing this after Jesus has already died and resurrected and ascended back to the throne of heaven. But as he reflects back on the time that he spent with Jesus as one of his disciples and the things that he saw and the things that other people saw while Jesus was here, he knows that Jesus manifested or revealed the glory of God to the world. The shepherds saw this when Jesus was born. They saw this glory. So did the angels at Jesus' birth. In fact, just in John chapter 2, we're told that when Jesus turned the water into wine at that wedding, that he revealed his glory to those at that wedding, and that his disciples believed in him because of it. His glory was seen in a major way to Peter, James, and John at what is called the transfiguration of Jesus on that mountain. And so in Jesus, we behold God and we behold the glory of God. What does this mean? Well, notice here on the screen, it simply means that in Jesus, we see what God is like. I'm sure most of you have heard the saying, like father, like son. Like father, like son. I can relate to that saying. I'm sure some of you can as well. I can relate to that because I'm a son and I have two sons of my own. So something of my father is seen in me, even though it's not a a perfect reproduction. Sometimes people say they see me in my boys, which may or may not be such a great compliment. But with Jesus, listen, this saying, like father, like son, is taken to perfection. Jesus is the exact image of his father. This means Jesus shows us what God is like. He has made God known to us. He's manifested it to us. He's revealed him to us. In John chapter 14, verse 9, one of Jesus' uh, followers, a guy by the name of Philip, says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus replies back to him, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God wants to be seen. 
And he wants to be known through his son. So God came and he lived among us so we could watch him more closely. This is the same point made in John chapter 1 verse 18. When John writes, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What John is saying in this verse is that even though God is a spirit and therefore he is invisible, he has revealed himself to us, though, in the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. So now in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, in the work of Jesus, we see who? God. God the Father. You don't have to stay in the dark about God. You don't have to wonder, oh, what is God like? What does God think? How does God act? Who is God? Jesus shows us what God is like. God has actually come and pitched his tent in our backyard. And he beckons us to watch him. And get to know him in the person of his son, Jesus. And so when you watch Jesus in action, you watch God in action. When you hear Jesus teach, you hear God teach. When you know what Jesus is like, you know what God is like. And of course, today, we do not live when Jesus lived on this earth. So we don't have the privilege of watching him closely through our visible eyes. But we have his word, do we not? We have the testimony. Of those who saw. We have the testimony and the written word. To reveal to us now. What God is like through the person of Jesus Christ. As described in the gospels of Jesus Christ. And it's a sure word. It's a certain word. It's a word that you can trust. That you can bank on. And bank your life on. So behold. Not just the incarnation of the Lord. Behold his manifestation. In Jesus, we see what God is like. So the obvious question is, well, what is God like? What is it we see in Jesus when we look at his life through his word? Well, the answer is found in our final point. Number three, behold the Lord's invitation. Behold the Lord's invitation. So what do we see when we see Jesus? Well, well, John is pretty clear in verse 14 what we see in Jesus. John says we see two things. We see the glory of God's what? The glory of God's grace and truth. Look at verse 14 again. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John repeats this in verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember Moses? Everybody knows the name Moses. How many have seen the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, right? We all remember Moses. Moses was chosen by God to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. Moses was the mediator of the law. In fact, the law in the Old Testament... Otherwise, most of us know it as the Ten Commandments. The law is summarized there in the Ten Commandments for us. And so Moses is a special person in the Old Testament. And the law was very significant in the history and in the life of the children of Israel, God's chosen people. But folks, listen to me. Moses and the law pale in comparison to Jesus, our Lord. 
In fact, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, the law was designed to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to lead us to or to point us to Jesus the Lord. Why? Because the law brought truth, yes, and it brought judgment. It revealed sin. It exposed how bad my life is in light of God's holiness. It tells me I don't measure up to God's holiness. Therefore, in my sin, I am separated from God. I'm at enmity with God. In other words, I'm an enemy with God. I have no peace with God. And the law tells me that. It shows that to me. It reveals it to me. It's not much good news in that. Unless... You follow the law all the way to the person of Jesus Christ. So the law is good, but the law in and of itself cannot save you. This is why Jesus came, and he came, get this, full of grace and full of truth. One author puts it this way. In Discipleship Journal, he writes, In his truth, Jesus tells me the real story about my life and where I stand. He tells me I am spiritually dead, booked on a one-way flight to hell, incapable of achieving heaven on my own power, incapable of lifting myself out of the despair of an empty life or releasing myself from the iron chains of habitual sin. But in his grace, Jesus loves me. He seeks me. He calls me. He redeems me. He walks with me through the hours of the day and stands guard over my slumbers at night. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the manger. And picture that scene in your mind, the nativity scene with the manger. Listen, it is filled with God's amazing grace for you and I. But that manger scene where baby Jesus lies is also a reminder of a terrible, horrible truth about us. That because of my sin and because of your sin, Jesus came to die. Yes, what does this grace and truth mean for my life today? Here's what it means. Notice this on the screen. It means Jesus was born to die on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what his grace and his truth means for us. This is why the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1.21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save you from your sins. This is why Jesus came. This is why he lived. This is why he died. And this is why he rose again to save us from our sins. As Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace and that's truth wrapped up in one. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's truth. And it's also grace because it points me to the truth. So all of us need a Savior. And Jesus fits that description. When you go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it reminds us that this is love. Christmas is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
I've shared this before, but I, I just I I love this saying of what someone once wrote. And nobody knows who, who wrote it, so nobody gets the credit for it, which is probably a good thing, but listen to what it says. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But since our greatest need is forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's Christ the Lord, the Son of God who came from heaven to earth. So behold the Lord's invitation this morning. Stand in awe and wonder of his invitation for your life. Because Jesus comes to us full of grace and truth. Because Jesus is full of grace, he died for you and me while we were still sinners. And because Jesus is full of truth, he was able to pay for our sins completely with his death on the cross. Because Jesus is full of grace, he can come, you can come to him just as you are. I love that. Listen, you don't, you don't, it doesn't matter what, your, what sins you've committed or how bad your past is. Jesus invites you to come just as you are. And because Jesus is full of truth, you can come in complete confidence that he will keep his promise to you to forgive you and to grant you eternal life. Now, when you stand in awe of his incarnation, of his manifestation and of his invitation, I'll be the first to admit, when I gaze upon those three things about our Lord, they're a mystery. They're not the easiest things to comprehend. And so perhaps this video will help give you a better understanding of what John is writing for us here in verse 14. surrender our lives what does Jesus do for us he ushers us into the presence of God now and forever folks that's grace and that's truth do you need a trustworthy savior this morning fear not Jesus is full of truth do you need a forgiving Lord then come to him run to the cross because Jesus is full of grace So how do we actually respond to this? How do we respond to the Lord's invitation of grace and truth that we find in his offer of salvation? Well, there's one way. Notice it coming up on the screen. If you want to be saved from your sins, if you want to enter into the presence of God, you must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by believing in him for salvation. Verse 12 In the same chapter of John, just two verses before verse 14 here sums it all up. Notice what it says. But as many as received him. Received who? Jesus, the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. So what does it mean to to receive Jesus Christ and believe in his name? Well, this word receive means to... To welcome a visitor into your home. It's what you do when, 
when a guest knocks on your door at your Christmas party. You open the door, you smile at them, and you invite them in. You say, welcome, please come in. And so to receive Christ means to to welcome Him as an honored guest and to have Him make your heart His home. But it's more than just welcoming Him as a guest. It's welcoming Him as your Savior and your Lord. This idea of Lord means He becomes your leader, your ruler, the one you follow, the one you obey. So it's not a guest you welcome in knowing that he's going to leave your life in two hours. Or a guest that you want to leave. You can't wait till he leaves. No, he's the Lord. He's the Savior. And we do this. We welcome him into our hearts through faith. Or what John uses, the word by believing. And to believe means more than just saying a prayer. Listen, saying a prayer is simply the vehicle in which we use to confess Jesus as our Lord. And so there is worthiness in saying a prayer because it's through the confession of our mouth that we receive and we confess that we believe. But if all we do is say a prayer, walk out of here and never live differently, then saying a prayer hasn't saved anybody. Just as coming to church all your life doesn't save anybody. Coming to a Christmas service like this doesn't save anybody. Believing has the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. It's trusting Him with all your heart. It means trusting in Jesus so completely that He is your only hope of eternal life in heaven. And here's the really cool part about this verse. When we believe and when we receive Jesus Christ through faith, God says He gives us the right to become what? The children of God. In other words, sons and daughters of God. This word right means honor or privilege. And so the moment you receive Christ into your life, God gives you the honor of becoming a member of His family. And that means getting in on all the benefits of His family, such as joy and peace and eternal life in heaven. And it's also, get this folks, it's even the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. And who can understand what just took place? In Connecticut. How do you find peace in that kind of madness? Only through Jesus Christ. Only through an understanding that God is sovereign, He is in control, and He loves us, and He knows that we are living in a sin-filled world. And we need a Savior. That's grace. That's truth. Do we believe it? Do we put our hope in it, our trust in it? This is the real meaning of Christmas. Listen, Christmas is just, what, a week from Tuesday, right? And most of us, if not all of us, we will gather with family and friends, and we will open up at least one gift, or if we're parents, we'll watch others open gifts. You know the idea. And some of those gifts you probably don't need. Most of them you could probably live without. But there is one gift, folks, listen, that you cannot live without. The one gift we desperately need is not wrapped in some bright paper and fancy ribbon, but it's wrapped in swaddling cloths and it's lying in a manger. It's the gift of Jesus Christ, and there's something, and there's nothing you can do to earn this gift. And there's nothing you can do to pay for it. 
You must personally receive him as your Savior and Lord. It's not enough that Jesus came to this earth to be born in a manger. His coming will do you no good as long as Christ remains outside of your life. Jesus may be in the Bible. Jesus may be in the church. These kids may sing about Jesus. The praise team sang about Him. Jesus may be in the Christmas carols we sing. Jesus may even be in the Christmas cards you send. But it will do you no good unless Jesus is where? He's in your heart. You've received Him because you believe in Him. And so I ask you this question. Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord this morning? John 1.12 says, but as many as received him. I love those little three words, as many as. Think about those three little words, as many as. It means there's no limit to the number of people who can receive the gift of Jesus Christ and be saved. As many as includes you. And many here this morning have already received Jesus. What about you? Many have already welcomed Jesus into their hearts. What about you? Is God speaking to you? Is He opening up your heart? Is He opening up your eyes to see His glory? The glory of Jesus the Lord. The glory that He is full of grace and truth. And He comes in that grace and truth for you. Is Jesus speaking to your heart this morning? Are you beginning to see, whoa, I need Him. I am lost in my sin. I am hopeless. I am desperate. There is no other way for me to be saved but through Jesus. Listen, you can receive him this morning. You can welcome him into your heart today. Let's bow our heads. We're going to have a time for you to do just that. A time for you to respond to God. An opportunity for you to receive Jesus And I know many of you here this morning have already received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But perhaps there's one or two, three or four, five, however many. Perhaps there are some of you here now who have never received Jesus in your life. But you're ready to receive Him by trusting Him as your Savior and Lord. The praise team is going to sing and As they sing, let me encourage you to use that prayer in your notes. Again, as I already said, there's nothing magical in the prayer, but it's a prayer to simply express your heart's desire to receive Jesus. And so may those words be the vehicle God uses to create faith in your heart and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And so while the praise team is singing, I would encourage you to respond to the Lord if He's pricking at your heart. Don't wait. Respond to him this morning.